you know, as Nicholas and Danelle have uh, spent some time here, um, had a lot of opportunities to hear some of the things that have been going on in their lives in China, some of the things that go on in the lives of everyone in China. And really, I am impressed by the fact that life in China is difficult. But I think uh, the uh, fact is that sooner or later, each one of us come to that same conclusion, that life is hard. Uh, Terry Pape used to be on staff here. That was his favorite saying, life is hard. You know, another friend of mine and I were walking <clears throat> just uh, the other day, talking about some of the pressures that we were under. And as we commiserated about life, we came to what seemed like an apt conclusion to our discussion. Life happens. <laughs> it just sometimes just seems like it keeps coming at us, threatening to, you know, roll us under its enormous wheels. As I talk to people in the congregation, I hear stories of, of excruciating family problems, of, of uh, unsolvable financial problems, relentless health problems, pressures uh, at home, pressures at work, pressures at school, pressures in relationships, pressures because there are no relationships. And at times, it's just overwhelming. I uh, think I can safely predict that each person in this room is either right now under some crushing pressure or they soon will be. And I mean, that's just part of life. And life in the 20th century just seems to keep coming at us faster than ever before. Well, this morning we're going to look at a psalm, Psalm 25, that tells us how to handle pressure. Therefore, it tells us how to handle life in the 20th century. This psalm uh, is in six sections or strophes, and the theme of each section comes directly out of the, the, the section before it. So we're going to take this chunk by chunk, section by section. We're going to start with the first three verses, which is the first section. Just take it verse by verse. Verse 1 of Psalm 25. To thee, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in thee I trust. David starts by saying, to thee, Lord, I lift up my soul. I lift up my life. That's what soul is. My whole life, everything I am, everything about me. I lift it up to you. I, I, I lay it before you. I lay it at your feet. I trust you, God. See, right off, we see that David's focus is, is personal. He doesn't trust some religion, some theory, some philosophy. He says, it's you, Yahweh. If you remember, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. That whenever you see Lord written in all capital letters, it's actually the word Yahweh. They just don't want to write Yahweh out. It's a tradition, a convention that's, that's been around for several thousand, or several hundred, well, probably several thousand years, come to think of it, that they don't want to write the name of the Lord out in case somebody might take that name in vain. So when you see Lord, all capital letters, it's the name of God, Yahweh, the personal name of God. And David's saying, it's you, Yahweh. He's addressing God personally that I lay my life out to. It's you, God, that I trust. Then in verse 2, we start seeing a little bit of anxiety creeping in. He says, do not let me be ashamed. Do not let my enemies exalt over me. He says, God, I trust you, but please don't let me down, God. And I, even as he's confessing his, his, his trust in God, he's feeling the fear 
And this, and we've all experienced that. In fact, um, we almost always experience that when we really want to trust God and, and we're in a tight situation or a painful or a scary situation. We want to trust Him, but it's scary. We say, please, God, don't let me down. And he's feeling some fear, so he reminds himself of the truth. And that's what he does in verse 3. Now, this isn't necessarily what he feels. This is what he knows to be true. He's talking to himself here. He says, Indeed, none of those who wait for thee will be ashamed. Those who deal treacherously without cause will be ashamed. This is the setup for the whole psalm. This is the theme for the whole psalm. See, those that wait on God, those that trust him, they won't be ashamed. But it's those who deal treacherously. They're going to be ashamed. Now, the word treacherously is an interesting word. We think of, we think of treacherous, we think of a, some really slimy, backstabbing person. But what it, the term simply means to meander, to wander, to wander off course, to break one's word, one's promise, one's direction. And what David is describing here is someone who starts off with God. He says, God, okay, I'm trusting you. I'm going to trust you. I know this is hard, but I'm going to trust you. And as soon as the pressure builds, it gets intense. The guy cuts and runs. He jumps track, starts uh, taking matters into his own hand, and starts thrashing around. See, David says it's without cause, acts treacherously without cause, for no real reason. It's just fear. It's just imagination. It's just the what-ifs. You know, what if God doesn't really care about me? What if God's not even there? What if, what if he forgot me? We just start with the what-ifs, and they start to scare us. A friend of mine, somebody that uh, a lot of you people know, used to go to church here before he moved, Malcolm Anderson, tells one of the funniest stories I've ever heard. Um, Malcolm used to be a warrant officer in the Army, and one of the jobs that he had was ferrying airplanes that needed repair or overhaul back to the base where the work was going to be done. Well, he and a couple of sergeants went over and picked up this DC-3 that uh, was in great flying condition. I don't know if you guys know anything about airplanes, but DC-3s are virtually indestructible. They'll fly forever. And this airplane was in good flying shape, but they were going to refurbish it and make it into an officer's shuttle, and they were going to make it real fancy inside. So they had torn out all of the insides, and there were wires hanging loose, and it was just in really ugly shape inside. It looked like a disaster. Well, when a military plane flies from one base to another, they have to declare how many spaces they have in case there's a GI that needs a ride and they then get uh, get a ride somewhere. So uh, Malcolm declared, and they were told by the base that there was one soldier that needed a ride to the base that they were going to. It was an 18-year-old kid, just fresh out of boot camp. He had two weeks leave and no place to go. So his plan was to see the country by just hitching rides from base to base and looking around when he got there. So uh, Malcolm and his buddies decide to have a little fun with this kid. They get him on the airplane, and he's looking around, and you know, there's wires hanging loose, and it's all junky. And they said, well, this airplane has been condemned, and we're taking it to the junkyard. We hope it makes it. And in order to make this farce work, they uh, issued him a parachute and told him all the details of how to use it, told him how to use the, work the emergency latch, and you know, said, we're really afraid it's not going to make it. This is, uh, Malcolm said this kid's eyes were like saucers, you know. Well, they take off, come up to cruising speed, or cruising altitude, excuse me, and the uh, pilot leans out the fuel mixture to the engines, and the engines sputter just a little bit. Malcolm turns to this kid and says, this is it, we're going down. The kid, without a second's hesitation, jumps to his feet, throws open the emergency door, and leaps from the airplane. <laughs> Malcolm says he ran, he ran to the door just in time to see the chute open, and this kid... 
floating down, <laughs> floating down over the desert. They uh, had to call the base and have somebody sent out to pick this kid up, and the the uh, the radio op- or the uh, tower operator ordered them back to base, and they had to show up in front of the CEO. And Malcolm said the CEO was livid. He said, "If this wouldn't look so bad on my own record, I'd bust you a stripe." He, he was furious. But see, uh, that plane was sound. The kid didn't have to jump. It was just fear. It was just their lies, just their teasing. If he had stayed on the airplane, he would have got right where they were going. He would have gotten to the city that he intended to get to. And the fact is, when we face something in our lives where there's a lot of pressure, a lot of pain, a lot of fear, God is in control. We just freak out and we jump. Another illustration, I think, uh, gives or points out some of the danger of this. Ask anyone from Texas, and they'll tell you what an armadillo does when you drive over it in a car. Now, God has equipped armadillos with a very good defense mechanism against predators. Armadillos have a nice hard shell, and a coyote comes up and starts sniffing it. It'll hunker down inside its shell and just sit there. But if the coyote starts hassling it and just bothering it too much, that armadillo will just, with all four legs, jump straight up in the air, scare the coyote, and then just hunker back down. This works great against coyotes, but it does not work so well against automobiles. See, when you uh, drive over an armadillo on the road, he'll see you coming, he'll hunker down, and you'll line up on him so you don't get him with your wheels. Right about halfway through, he gets scared, and you hear a... <laughs> no more armadillo. See, that's what we do. Again, we find ourselves in a, in a rough situation... We're holding on to God, I trust you, God, and the pain grows, and it gets scary. And right when that car is over our head, we jump. Boom. Notice a lot of you guys have bald heads. I assume that's, uh, <laughs> that's from jumping. You see, and we don't need to do that. We can hang in there. We can trust Him. We can hold on. And like David says, wait. It's those that wait for the Lord that are not ashamed. You know, faith is not feeling confident. Faith is not feeling secure. Faith is, in spite of how we feel, hunkering down and waiting for Yahweh, waiting for God. Let's take a look at the next section, verses 4 through 7. It says, Make me to know thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth and teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. For thee I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, thy compassion and thy loving kindness, for they've been from old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to thy loving kindness, remember thou me, for thy goodness' sake, O Lord. See, David was hurting. He was under a lot of pressure. And that pressure pushes him to God. One of my uh, many missionary heroes, Hudson Taylor, wrote, It matters not how great the pressure is, only where the pressure lies. If we make sure it never comes between us and our Lord, then the greater the pressure, the more it presses us to Him. You see, first David asked God to teach him, to, to, to lead him. When we're under pressure, we get scared. We don't know what to do. We don't know what direction to turn. And so we feel more strongly than ever the need for guidance, the need for teaching. And that's what David is calling out for because he doesn't want to meander. He doesn't want to jump when the car is going over. So he says, Lord, teach me. 
lead me. Because he knows that, that, that God has the answers. And that the only solutions that really work are the solutions based on the truth, on the Word of God, on the things that God has to say. You know, we so quickly and so often get sucked into to, uh, patterns of, of response that, that seem to offer a quick relief from the pain or seem to, to give us the illusion that we are in control. But it leaves us worse off than, than before. It leaves us emptied and alone. Often these are patterns that we learned as children in order to survive some very overwhelming situation. And they become now reflex reactions, ways of hiding, ways of manipulating, ways of escaping into, into another, a safer world. The last uh, couple of uh, winters, uh, the speaker for the singles retreat has been a psychologist from Portland by the name of Byron Kaler. And uh, he's done an excellent job of just teaching us. But one of the things that he says that I think has a lot of wisdom is he says, don't despise these things that you learned as a child. They were all you knew. They got you through and you survived. But that was when you were a child and you thought like a child. Now you're an adult. Let's put away the childish things and live as adults in Christ. See, David asks for guidance. He asks God to teach him. But he's also very acutely aware that he's ignored God's guidance in the past. That he's ignored the things that God has already taught him. He's aware that God should be fed up with him. He deserves to be rejected. David realizes God doesn't owe him a thing. And he acknowledges that. He knows that. You know, our tendency is when we get under pressure is to get angry with God, to get bitter at Him, to, to try to, to pressure Him. He's not doing His job. You know, He's not taking care. He owes me. And we start thrashing about trying to manipulate God. But see, God intended pressure to be a time of inventory, a time of, of, of self-examination, of realization of our need, and then a time to take that need to God. And not on the basis of, of what he owes us, but on the basis of his character, his grace. Verses uh, 6 and 7 again. Remember, O Lord, thy compassion and thy loving kindness, for they've been from old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to thy loving kindness, remember thou me. For thy goodness sake, O Lord. Again, it's not that God owes him anything, but he says, God, you're good. And because of that... Remember these. Remember me. Take care of me. Forgive my transgressions. You know, in our rights-oriented society, we're so used to basing our claims on our rights, demanding our rights even. But it doesn't work with God. We don't have any rights before God. But we do have His love. We do have His forgiveness in Christ. We do have His grace. And that's a whole lot better In verses uh, 8 through 12, the next section, David uh, really focuses in on that grace. He says, Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in justice. He teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are loving kindness and truth to those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. 
See, again, David is very aware of his need. He sees it clearly. But he also realizes there in verse 10 that the, 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 the appropriate condition for receiving the loving kindness and truth that he so desperately needs is obedience. Is keeping the testimonies and the, and, and the, uh, uh, the covenants. And David knows that he fails. He doesn't do that. But again, God's grace is sufficient. Verse 8 again. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. You see, God's grace is great enough that he instructs even sinners like David, like you, like me. In verse 9, he says, he leads the humble in justice and he teaches the humble his way. Remember, that's exactly what David's asking for is to be led, to be taught we see that the key there is, is humility. David wants to be led and wants to be taught so that he's not wandering. And the key is to be humble. The term humble means cast down, oppressed, pushed down. And he's describing someone who is suffering the oppression of life. The, the, the uh, people after him or some other circumstance in life is pressing them down. Yet rather than turning on God, they remain soft. And unassuming, undemanding, undefying. See, we can demand and defy God. We can demand that He take care of us. But why? God cannot be manipulated. What He asks is that instead we humble ourselves and may leave ourselves open to Him, to trusting Him. Sometimes I think the reason we refuse to face what we're really like, what's really going on inside of us, is because... We want to hold on to our sins. We want to, to hold on to our immaturity and our sin and still have God help us. But it doesn't work. God cannot be used. He loves us too much to let us get by with that, to, to hold on to those sins that are destroying us. He'll use that difficult situation, that painful situation, that pressure He'll use it to peel our fingers back from those sins, from that immaturity, so that we'll let them go. He does it gently. He does it lovingly. Sometimes it feels awfully brutal. Sometimes it feels awfully painful. But it comes out of His love and out of His wisdom, out of His kindness. And as we humble ourselves, He exalts us at the proper time. That's His plan. Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God, that He might exalt you at the proper time. Well, in the next section... David uses a slightly different concept for humility. He talks about fearing the Lord. That uh, first line of verse 12, it uh, says, uh, Who is the man who fears the Lord? It actually, I think, should read, What is true of the man who fears the Lord? Uh, the, the, in Hebrew, the interrogative is just a very short little word that could be translated who or what or, or several other interrogative uh, pronouns, uh, several other interrogatives. And I think what David is saying is, what is true of the man, the person, who trusts the Lord, who fears the Lord? Let me read uh, the next four verses because that, these verses answer that question. That's what he goes on to tell us. Who is the man or what is true of the man who fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way he should choose. His soul will abide in prosperity and his descendants will inherit the land. 
The secret of the Lord is for those who fear Him, and He will make them to know His covenant. My eyes are continually toward the Lord, for He will pluck my feet out of the net. See, to fear the Lord means that we don't try to use Him. It means we realize who we're dealing with. We realize how powerful He is, how intelligent He is. And we can't pull one over on Him, people. We cannot pressure Him and manipulate Him with our anger. It just doesn't work. He will not be manipulated. He will not be used. And to fear Him means that we realize that, but we also realize how good He is and how much He loves us. And so we deal with Him on the basis of reality and on the basis of this knowledge. We deal with Him appropriately. That's what it means to fear the Lord, that we realize, we, we appreciate, we, we, keep, we are conscious of just who it is that we're dealing with. David says, what's true of the man who fears the Lord? Well, verse 12 says, God will instruct him in the way that he should choose. That's exactly what David's been asking for. And then verse 14, he says, and the secret of the Lord is for those that fear him. That term, the secret of the Lord. If you've got an NASB, in the margin it says, literally, the council of intimacy. See, It's the things you tell only your closest friend. The stuff that's really going on inside of you. The stuff that you're really feeling. What you really think about things. See, and what what, what David is saying is that's what God shares with those who fear Him. He shares His thinking. He shares His feelings. He shares His plans. He lets us in. Into the counsels of intimacy. And again, it's, it's fearing Him that opens the door to this. When we fight Him, when we resist, when we withhold, we can't hear Him. We can't hear these secrets. And, and, and we push Him away. We, we close ourselves off to that intimacy with God. And intimacy with God is life. That's what it's all about. Jesus calls us his friends in John 15, 15. Jesus said, No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. See, Jesus says, I I don't call you slaves, because it's not that I just order you around. What I do is I share my heart with you. I share my feelings, my plans. I share myself with you. It's the same thing God is talking about. He calls us friends, intimate, close friends, the friends that, the kind of friends that he confides in. And the rest of the verses of this section, David goes on to explain some of the benefits of, of receiving the instruction of the Lord, some of the benefits of, of, of hearing his secrets. And he says, His soul will abide in prosperity. Literally, it's his soul will abide in good. In the good stuff, in, in, in peace and satisfaction and clarity and harmony and joy. He also says, and his descendants will inherit the land. You see, he, he says that, that, that you can start a chain of health that will last for generations. Many of us are here suffer from. Uh, the sins of our parents, their shortcomings. What David is suggesting here is you can turn that trend around, pass on the good stuff, 
rather than the things that are harmful. And the key to it is fearing the Lord, because when we fear the Lord, it opens us up to His instruction. It opens us up to this life-giving intimacy with God. Verse 15, David applies all of this stuff to himself. Verse 15, he says, My eyes are continually toward the Lord, for He will pluck my feet out of the net. See, David looks at God, and he trusts God. He doesn't uh, just sit down and try to figure it all out himself. He doesn't start asking everybody else he can find what he should be doing and, 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 and looking for somebody else to help him out. Now, realize, there's nothing wrong with talking with your friends, getting their advice. There's nothing wrong with, with thinking through uh, possible solutions to your problems. There's nothing wrong with that. But don't expect your friends to save you. And don't depend on your own schemes and your own ideas. It's God who will save you. When a young child is uh, hurt or frightened, he screams out, Mommy, at the, at the top of his lungs, as loud as he can. And he doesn't look at the dog that's scaring him. He doesn't look at what he just tripped over. He looks at his mommy. He doesn't sit around and talk to the other kids and try to figure out what he should do about this. He doesn't uh, sit down and analyze it himself and come up with a good plan. He just screams mommy at the top of his lungs. Well, why? Because he knows that mommy will help. He knows she'll know what to do. She'll take care of him. She cares about him more than anything. He's important to her, so he trusts his mommy. And realize, he doesn't trust some abstract concept of mommyhood out here. He trusts his mommy, a real person. And David does the same thing. David isn't crying out to uh, some abstract higher being. He is crying out to Yahweh. He'll know what to do. He cares. He'll take care of me. That's exactly what David is doing in the next section. He's crying out, mommy, to God. He's saying, I'm hurt. Help me. Verse 16. He says, Turn to me. Be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Look upon my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Look upon my enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with violent hatred. See, one of the great privileges of intimacy with God is that we can cry out to Him. We can cry out, Abba, Father, and know that He cares. Know that He loves us more than any mommy ever did, any daddy ever could. You know, when I think about how much I love my girls, I find it almost incomprehensible that God loves me more than that. And God loves you more than that. Notice also that David doesn't tell God how to take care of him. He just says, look, God, look at this, look at that. He's showing God his always. He's saying, God, help me. This is where it hurts. This is what I'm feeling, God. You see, so often when we're hurting or we're afraid, we tell God exactly how it is we're going to allow him to help us. We say, uh, you know, God, help me by doing this on this date at this time and in this way. We tell him how to do his job. 
We demand that He do it a certain way. Now, this isn't trusting Him. This isn't fearing Him, realizing how intelligent He is, how powerful He is, how good He is. And, and uh, look down in, in, in verse 18. He starts pleading again for mercy, that second line. Forgive all of my sins. Even as he's crying out to God, even as he's focused on God, his sins come up to haunt him. Now, this almost always happens when we really look at God. We really see God. We suddenly see our own sinfulness. And the accuser comes in and starts attacking and starts making us feel unworthy to come to God. Say, if God saw me like this, he wouldn't love me. But see, David doesn't slow down. He sees his sins. He confesses them and he keeps coming. His sins haunt him, but they don't stop him. You see, David knows that God already knows them. David knows that God sees it, sees him exactly like he is, and that God still loves him. You know, all the great men and women of God throughout history have always been acutely aware of their own sinfulness. But rather than cover up, they've laid themselves bare before God. They've trusted Him. And this really is the key to their greatness. Our confidence is in Jesus Christ. He paid the penalty for our sins. He proved God's willingness to forgive us, to to love us, to continue to love us. But that makes it no less remarkable, no less humbling that He does love us. That He does forgive us. That He does continue to care about us. That is just as, as remarkable. It's just overwhelming. And as we face how overwhelming, how, how awesome that grace is, that's exactly what draws us into intimacy with God. David doesn't take his sins lightly. We cannot take our own sins lightly. The fact is, because of our sins, we deserve to be rejected by God. But David shows us that when we come humbly, fearing Him, confessing our sins, God still rescues. Our sins cannot stand in the way. Jesus Christ has taken care of them. He's removed them as obstacles. Well, verses... 20 through 22 is the last section. It says, Guard my soul and deliver me. Do not let me be ashamed, for I take refuge in thee. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for thee. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. See, David ends up with a plea for protection from shame. But if you remember, shame was a product of wandering of, of cutting and running in the middle of the fight, of, of panicking for no real reason, of jumping out of fear. What David asked for is he says, let uh, integrity and uprightness protect me from that kind of behavior. It's interesting, the word uprightness is exactly the opposite of the word for treachery, for wandering. The term uprightness means to unswervingly follow a path, turning neither to the right nor to the left. Keeping on trusting God. Keeping on with the things that He says are important. Keeping on the path that He has told us, the path that He has pointed out. And then David ends with a final blessing upon Israel. It's a common ending to many of, many of the Psalms. David, just uh, as a cap to this Psalm, remembers 
Israel, ask God to deliver Israel from all of, her, of his troubles. Well, the fact is, life gets hard. We get hurt, we get beat up, we get confused, we get uh, uh, afraid, frightened. And pressure builds, happens to all of us, it happens to each of us. And when we're in the midst of it, uh, things get very confusing. Even the, even the smallest decisions become labored and difficult. We don't trust ourselves. We don't trust our judgment. We don't trust ourselves to do the right thing, to choose the right path. You know, in the midst of it, it seems like, like uh, God's not even there. It seems like it's going to last forever. Where is He? Maybe He's going to come too late. Maybe rescue won't be on time. You know, when we're in the midst of it, it gets hard to hold on to the fact that He really cares about you specifically, individually. You know, sure, God is love. We all know that. And I'm sure He loves preachers and elders and, and, and Sunday school teachers. But most of us look at ourselves and say, I'm pretty low on the priority list here. How could He really care about me? Well, if you believe that, you've never really listened to Him. Because He created you specifically and individually just for the pleasure of being with you. He loves you. And He'll tell you that if you listen. And if you believe that He doesn't love you, you've never really looked at the cross and faced the truth that that death was specifically for you individually. Even if no one else ever existed, He would have died for you. Now these things, like I said, get hard to hold on to when we're under pressure, when when we're scared. It gets hard to really get a grip on these things. Hard not to cut and run. Hard not to jump just as that car is going right overhead. But David is telling us this morning that we have a choice. That we can choose to turn on God, to, to stiffen ourselves, resist Him, struggle with Him, to turn to our friends, to turn to our own devices, and become confused, become blinded, be destroyed. Or we can turn to God. We can confront ourselves, humble ourselves, fear Him. Learn from Him about what paths are healthy and good and right. Gain, grow in understanding. And enjoy intimacy with our Creator. The choice is ours. The choice is yours. I know old patterns are hard to break and sometimes it feels like there's not even a choice involved. We don't have a choice. But the fact is... The testimony of this psalm is that in Christ you really do have a choice to turn on God or to turn to God. Well, I want to pray real quickly because I want to take the chance right now after the prayer to uh, have a testimony. I asked Gerald Anderson if he would just share a testimony from his own life about God's faithfulness. David Melhoff's going to come up and lead us in a song and Gerald's going to... Uh, then share with us, and David will, will close us with a song. So, Let's pray. Lord, we do worship you. We do confess how 
quickly we cut and run, but we do ask you to protect us from treachery, from breaking our word to you, from, from thrashing around and not waiting for you. Lord, we want to learn to wait for, me, for you. We want to learn your paths. We want to be instructed by you. We want to see you as you are so that we fear you, so that we come humbly to you, rather than demanding that we just count on your goodness, your grace. We praise you that ultimately that was proved in Jesus Christ, that we cannot question your love, that we cannot ultimately question how much you really care, how greatly you're committed to us. Lord, just make us conscious, even this week as we deal with the pressures of life, just conscious of our dependence on you, to keep ourselves open and vulnerable, to not let our sins stand in the way, to not dismiss them, but to just trust you. We praise you in your son's name. Amen.